good morning, ULA and HES parents. Um, today, we are talking about the importance, importance of parent-adolescent communications and building strong relationships. And the reason why we chose that developmental stage of the teenage years, it's because most parents will tell you that uh, their kids turned into aliens once they became teenagers. Uh, a lot of uh, inexplicable things, things that are difficult to deal with. And as parents, we tend to forget about how we felt as teenagers because we want to protect our teens so much. But it's really important to go back to that time and just be aware of everything that's going on physically, mentally, psychologically, and the fact that the environment is different too. So the agenda for our family engagement session um, I'll give a little bit of an introduction about uh, myself and what we're talking about. We will cover the development of the teenage brain, what changes are going on inside of the brain, um, and, what, and what does that mean in terms of behavior, communication, mood. And then we'll go over the four basic types of parenting. There are four different styles of parenting according to the psychology research. And then we will cover and make recommendations in terms of communication, and then just habits for the family to build stronger relationships. Okay, so let me introduce myself. My, may, my name is Ms. May Sabah. I'm a ULA school counselor. I've been here for a year and a half now. Um, I. My master's enables me to be licensed as a school counselor, but also a licensed professional counselor, which is a therapist. So it that we our training trains us for both the school setting and the clinical setting. And um, on top of that, throughout my graduate school, I finished a fellowship uh, uh, to, to gain more training in counseling underserved populations, specifically in Michigan. Um, and I also did some research that is published on how to improve the mental health of refugee families in the U.S. Any questions about me? Okay. I'm also a mother. I'm also a mother, so, you know, I can relate to the amazing and difficult task of being a parent. Now we will look at brains, okay? All right. So what happens when our kids, our students, uh, please let me know if I need to translate. Does anybody need me to translate to Arabic? No? Okay. What happens when our little, innocent, cute children turn into monstrous teenagers? Okay. Uh, how many of you were like, what happened? Where is my child? Right? So what happens is a lot of physical changes that they have no control over, okay? You hear a lot, what's the first thing you always hear about teenagers? What do we blame the problem on? Hormones, right? Yeah. yeah. Hormones, it's their hormones. And there is a misconception that the teenage hormone level is just the, the largest of all time or the most of all time, but that's not true. They don't have any more hormones than we do. 
they have the adult level of hormones because they are preparing, their body's preparing to enter into adulthood. Adolescence is that transition time between childhood and adulthood. So it's not that they have more hormones, it's that their bodies are not used to that amount of hormones. So their brains do not know what to do with all these new hormone secretions, okay? So imagine you feeling like you have no control over your body. You know, imagine when we, how, you, how we feel when we get sick and you have no control and you want to get up and do something for your kids. And, and, you know, the dad wants to get up and go to work, but it's, it's a frustrating feeling when you want to do something, but your body is not cooperating with you. And that's, that's what's going on with them. And they don't even know. They can't even tell you. Oh, my hormone levels are increasing, and that's why my mood is all messed up, and I can't concentrate, and I can't sleep, and I can't do this. So what the point of learning about the scientific background of what is going on in their brain is not for us as parents to give them excuses. It's not to let things go that we don't agree with. But when you understand someone more and what they're going through, it makes you deal with them differently, you know? With relationships, with friends, uh, with neighbors. Once you get to know their, more of their life story, more of why do they talk this way? Why do they act that way? Why do they dress that way? There is more acceptance and understanding and, and then the way we treat them is different. So that's why it's really important to put ourselves in the neurological part of being a teenager. So we have the hormones going on, okay? Something they're st struggling with. Moods are up and down. That's what hormones do. And as adults, we've had years of practice to, to ride the waves. We ride, and not always successfully, by the way, even though we have that practice, as adults, don't we get moody too? We get moody too. So imagine someone who is thrown in the ocean and they're just going up and down. So that explains some of the mood, the mood switches, okay? The mood shifts. What else is going on? Um, since our, not even infancy, in, the, in, in utero, in the womb, the first part of the brain that grows is from the back to the front. So the back here, the brainstem responsible for the automatic activities, breathing, um, balance, and then we go to eye-hand coordination, uh, touching, like that sense, and then we go to vision. Then, so, so each part is developing at its own time as we grow, and then we get to here, over here, that part is an overdrive as a teenager, okay? And this is uh, the center for the limbic, the limbic system. Think of it as the center of the brain that is responsible for emotions. It's emotion-driven, okay? It's all, it also has the amygdala. The amygdala is where we get our fight, flight, or freeze. When, we, when our brain perceives a threat, whether it's real or not, a threat can be a snake, a threat can be my dad, you know? A threat can be the school's principal, 
it's whatever my brain is perceiving as the threat. It can go into fight. I'm going to tell myself, I didn't do it. I didn't do anything. It was her fault. It was his fault. Fight. Or fight physically. Flight, I'm going to, sh uh, I'm not shut down. I'm going to flee the situation. Flight, I'm fleeing. I'm leaving the situation. Or freeze. I shut down. Have you guys experienced ever talking to your children where they're in trouble and you're asking them questions and they're just like this? That's freeze. It's literally, their brain is freezing because they're under so much stress and pressure. And at that point, you're perceived as a threat to the brain, not to them personally. The brain, the, the organ is like someone is, something is threatening me. So I'm gonna shut down to protect myself because I don't know what to do right now, okay? That part, so we're going from here to here, is getting fully developed. The last part that gets developed in our 20s. So adolescence is really from when they reach puberty or now when they're like tweening, these hormone changes start, to what? what what's the last year of teenage years? Can tell me. I think 19. A teen. 19. A teen. Okay. 22, 20. 18. 18. Okay. You're actually scientifically considered a teenager until you're 25. 25. Scientifically. You know? Um, we still don't know so much about the brain. You know, we go years and decades without gaining like a lot of momentum in neurological information, and then bam, there is a lot with like new technology. And we still maybe only know like 10% about our brain. So what has recently, not recently, recently as in the past few decades, has been discovered is the brain doesn't, doesn't complete its development in all its components until you're 25. But we haven't caught up with them. We haven't caught up with a lot of things in terms of systemic changes on how we treat individuals. 25, what happens at 25? What's completed? Your prefrontal cortex, which is this part of your brain. This part is responsible for decision-making, reasoning, controlling your impulses, retaining more memory, and just being an adult, right? So. Teenage years, this is getting developed. It's an overdrive. It's, it's driving the brain. It's driving their brain. Not until 25 that they can fully use this part. But how do we treat our teenagers? We treat them as if this is completely developed. As if, if I tell them my rule one time, they need to remember it and they need to know the consequences and they need to have no emotion about it. And they need to um, really control their emotions. Their emotions, that, that section that just got developed, the limbic section, is when part of the brain it gets developed, just like when it starts secreting hormones, it's not easy for the brain to be like, okay, I'm gonna regulate it, and I'm gonna give a little bit here and take a little bit here. It's an overdrive. It's like you giving a kindergartner a basket of candy and chocolate and cupcakes, okay? 
they're gonna go like this, okay? But it's our job as parents to be like, oh, somebody gave you that basket? Okay, let's put the basket here, keep it safe. We're gonna take one at a time. I'm gonna teach you how to consume this and not consume that. And when, when you wanna eat this, this is what you're gonna do. So we're guiding them through their brain development, knowing that they don't have all the tools to behave as responsibly as we want them to. Another interesting part, which explains a lot, is that, and you're gonna see it right here. So this, the ventral striatum right here, that is sensitive to reward, okay? Sensitive to rewards, so we feel rewards. They feel, uh, that's why social media, that's rewarding. I got a like, uh, somebody shared, um, my friend commented, whatever it is. They got an A. The reward can be any type. It can be positive and it can also be negative. There are negative rewards. That's why in the teenage years, unfortunately, drugs are introduced because they offer a reward. And this area during this time is very sensitive to rewards. They want to feel it. It feels really good. So it's very hard not to want to go back to that. What does that mean to us? Let's encourage and facilitate more avenues for them to feel rewarded and act in the things that actually help them and help the family. The other area that's getting developed is less sensitive. It's called, that's less sensitive, it's called the amygdala. The amygdala is usually more responsible for consequences, okay? That's not sensitive right now. So you have a brain, you have a kid, you have a child, you have an individual with a brain that's highly sensitive, craving rewards, and not really sensitive toward consequences. Do you guys experience that with your teenagers that they're, you tell them, we see it with some students. We tell them, if you fail that class, this is going to happen and you have to do this extra word, uh, extra work. And the response you're getting is, okay. It's frustrating, but science explains it to a certain extent. Science doesn't excuse it. It doesn't mean this is okay. We're just going to accept them the way they are and not try to like modify anything. It puts the burden on us as adults to figure out, okay, if I know that during this time they are more sensitive to reward, let's not motivate them by consequences because they don't care. If you tell your teenager who just got their license and I don't wanna scare anybody, okay? But I was a teenager here and I got my car and uh, I know what I did with the car, okay? But if you try to motivate them to drive safely by saying, you know, if you don't drive, if you don't speed, if you speed, you're gonna get pulled over and you might get an accident. That might not be as effective as if you keep a clean record, whatever it is, I may be able to get you a better car in a few years. Attention all teachers, attention all teachers, please take a moment to stop what you're doing and update your attendance. Again, elementary teachers, please make sure your um, learning attendance is updated. Middle and high school teachers, please be sure first and second hour attendance has been taken and 
and accurate. Please do so within the next five minutes. Thank you. So we stopped at whatever the example is. I'm just giving examples. I'm not giving rules, you know, but we know through evidence and research that teenagers respond more to rewards. Less than if you threaten them by consequences and punishment. The surge in the limbic system, the emotional center, it also explains why they are more daring. They, they are more adventurous. They want to try new things. They, they're taking risks. They're taking a lot of risks that sometimes can be dangerous. They want to feel this thrill. They want to feel the high of their emotions, okay? What does that mean to us as parents who can tell me? If you know that the brain is encouraging them to do new things, get these new feelings, and like have this high, what can we do as parents? Who can give me ideas? Positive rewards. Positive rewards, yeah. So just guide them, just guide them through the process. Guide them. Support them. Support them. But we know that they are so excited to have adventures, basically. And what are, what are some like common troubles for parents during that time? Friends who are not a good influence, right? Why do we, why do, why do we think that our kids gravitate sometimes to friends who are not a good influence? Thrill. Thrill, risk, it feels risky, it feels like, ooh, I'm doing something I'm not supposed to do. I'm not allowed to do that, but my friends are doing it. It feels, it feels good. So we need to replace that. Just saying, no, this is our rule. This is not what we do. That's very important. But alone, it's not enough. You need to put in some effort to provide new experiences that make them feel good, that make them experience that thrill and excitement. And as we mentioned with uh, the driving, the driving could be reckless, experimentation with drugs or drinking for safety reasons, not just moral reasons, not just psychological reasons, for their physical safety, keeping these things in, into consideration and allowing that to guide how we deal with them is critical for their own safety, okay? Okay, so we covered the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for decision-making, reasoning, and judgment. Now, neuroplasticity, that means, so, they, so we have a, a thing that we studied, our brains are plastic. Plastic, not, not, not this plastic, but plastic means metal. Yeah, it's malleable, metal. Okay? We thought, researchers thought for centuries that once 
you hit a certain age, once your brain is developed, that's it, you can't change it. You, your brain is plastic, it's, it changes. It gets harder as we grow, as we are adults, especially as we become elders. That's why, you know, if we look at the grandparents, they're set in their ways, but it's not impossible. The height of the time where our brain is plastic and metal and it can absorb things and expand and change is when, what are we talking about? Teenage years, teenage years. It can absorb an enormous amount of information. It can really fine tool incredible skills. Okay? So let's work that in. If, if I know that my teenager, this is the time to, the brain starts shaving off things it doesn't need anymore. So I'm trying to think of an example. The, your child learned something when they were three and they haven't used it until they're 12. It stays in their brain till they're 12. When they get into the teenage years and the brain is continuing to develop, the brain is like, I haven't used this. I don't use it. I'm going to let go of it because I'm saving more room for the things that I use and I want to get really good at it. Because the brain doesn't want to keep a lot of information that's not really useful. The brain wants to keep the main information to help you survive and succeed, and a lot of it. <laughs> so it's kind of like clearing up, it's cleaning up, okay? So give me ideas of what that means. If the brain is doing that, what do we want to do as parents for our teenagers? More ideas. More ideas? Or to fill this space to fill that space of things that will make them successful yeah. in the long run, right? Okay, very good. All right, we talked about reward and punishment. So any questions about the section we just talked about? No, okay. Okay, so we've already covered some of this. So number one, the most important thing that I want to really bring home is when we understand our teenagers, it doesn't mean that we give them a green light to do whatever they want. Understanding helps us treat them according to what they're going through and not according to what we're going through or what we expect. So the delivery is different. The expectation is different, right? And then as we said, we're encouraging learning, enrichment, gaining skills, finding them avenues to spend their time in where they're really going to fill their brain with things that are useful for them, fill their time with things that are healthy for them, instead of sitting, doing nothing, being bored. Being bored is a very dangerous thing for teenagers. Yeah, you want to fill, you want to give them time to, uh, for R&R, &R, rest and relax, too, because they need that, and I'll, I'll tell you why. But at the same time, if there is too much time, if that brain is not getting stimulated because it's, it's hungry for it, it's ready for it, it's going to find something else that stimulates it, and we don't want to go in that direction, okay? So another major thing that happens with teenagers uh, because of their hormone surge is 
sleeping patterns. Are, have you experienced that? Yeah. Your teenager just gives you a really hard time with their sleeping. Yeah. yeah. So that's, again, because of the, the body is like, what is happening with all these hormones? And so the body for a teenager actually needs a lot of rest. It needs a lot of rest because that's when the integration of all the changes is happening. It's like, it's like you're throwing things out there in a bucket and then it needs time to sit still and rest for things to settle in and get integrated to be used properly. However, unfortunately, with teenagers, the, their melatonin, melatonin is the hormone that makes us sleep, okay? I, I'm sure you guys have heard of people having sleeping problems that are taking melatonin supplements, okay? It's an, a natural hormone that we have that tell, tells our brain it's time to shut off, it's time to go to sleep, and it keeps you sleeping. For teenagers, melatonin doesn't start kicking in until later at night. That's why they stay up. They're active, okay? And they want to sleep in, right? Because their melatonin cycle didn't, it needs regulation, it needs adjustment, okay? It doesn't mean we let our teenagers go to bed whenever their melatonin kicks in, but keeping that in mind will make us less critical. Yeah, we understand. You're more understanding. You're there to not criticize. You're there to help. Okay, this is going on. You can talk to them and tell them, this is what's going on in your body right now, but we need to work on this. We need to rewire your body so that you have some nighttime routines for your brain to start producing that melatonin to signal that it's time to go to sleep. We can't just let your body run off with whatever it wants to do. Another thing you can do <coughs> is because teenagers need a lot of rest and they might have trouble going to bed early, allow for a timed nap after school. Timed, not, not a two, three hour nap because that will mess with their sleep cycle. But a 35, 40 minute nap, that would be, that would give them a jump start. But you need to help them wake up, wake up at that time, okay? All right, something else that will be incredibly beneficial for your teenagers is having a nice, calm, Eden-like, I'm just kidding. Okay, now I'm taking it too far. You can't have that at home, I know. But the less stress you have at home, the more your teenager will want to be home. That's it. The more stress you have at home, your teenager, because of the extra independence they're gaining, they are going to find ways to get out of your house. Okay? So we want to give them some autonomy, some privacy, some, some, not free reign. Some, make them feel like you know what's going on inside. That they, especially when you have responsible teenagers. Give them a little bit, they will give you a lot. Yeah. Um, stress has come up a lot and, and it will come in our few next slides, so I will go back to it. Explain to your teenagers and yourself that stress is not bad. Stress is why we finish our homework. Stress is why we do well on tests. Stress is why we get up every day and go to work. Stress is why we get up every day and take care of our houses and our children and our husbands and our wives. So stress is good. Anxiety and overwhelm is not good. If you have 
an environment at home where there's loud voices, no time to disconnect and relax, fighting, arguing, tension, that's an anxiety-provoking environment. And your teen, not that it doesn't affect everybody, it affects everybody, adults included. It affects infants if you have that environment. But your teenager is highly sensitive to that. And in a critical part of their brain development, we want to give them the best environments possible for their brain to develop um, in a healthy manner, okay? Model the behavior you want to see from your teenagers. I catch myself, I don't have teenagers yet, my kids are nine, they're twins, but I catch myself doing this. Stop screaming! Lower your voice! Exactly. It, when I, once I calm down, I'm like, that is such an oxymoron. It's such a hypocritical message. When you're asking someone to do something and you're standing there doing it. So raising our self-awareness and what, be aware of what we do and how we're coming across because we're not free of fault. We're human beings. We're going to make mistakes. But being compassionate with ourselves to say, you know what, I messed up there. This is not the right approach. This is not the right signal. I'm sending my kids. Let me, let me try something different the next time. So you want them to be calm, you need to be calm. Not all the time. We're going to have our moments, right? You want them to show you respect with the teenagers. Show them respect. Show them respect. Show them that you respect the individual they're becoming. Showing, showing them respect does not mean you're losing control. It actually can enhance your control of your family. Okay? And be patient. And I put dot, dot, dot because it doesn't end. It doesn't end until one day you get your kid back when they're an adult. Yeah. And this part is fully developed. You're like, oh, hi, nice, you're back. Hello, you ready to get married now? <laughs> and leave me after you matured and calmed down? So one of my professors uh, told us when we were studying the teenage brain that the teenage years, it's not a time for parents to have achievements. It's not a time for parents to enjoy their life or enjoy their kids. It is purely survival. You want to survive it. You want your teen to survive it with the less cost to the family, okay? Take that and do with it whatever you want, but really we want to ride that wave as successfully and as balanced as we could because we know that we get to a point where you're like, okay, it's done. My kid is back, okay? It's funny, I have both. You have both, you have the third? Yeah, yeah. I have 28. And they have myself. Yeah. So it's so funny how I deal with when he eat. And then we have myself. Right. But even Moody, I think he's going. He's tweening. Yeah. Ahmed. Yeah. 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 So he's hard to deal more than myself. More than myself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There, there are, there are also going to be gender differences. Yeah. You know. Maybe that's why. Yeah. And I. I'll tell you, this is personal, so everything I'm presenting is research-based, but sometimes I'll tell you some personal things. 
So when I had my son, because I had uh, I have twins and I have a son and daughter, so I'm seeing the differences in how they're developing in the personality side by side. And I told my husband, the boy, he is, it's like males are born men. They want to, they want to be assertive and they want to have that respect and, you know, and the girl is more like she's, re she's ready to receive from me guidance and stuff. But my son wants to like exert himself as the man of the house, you know, already. Ever since he was like one or two. Do you have that too? 100%. 100%, yeah. Because Miss Karut has, uh, has multiples as well. So, yeah. We have like uh, social experiments at home with the gender. So, yeah. So, Miss Nasr, not your name. Miss Nasr was saying that she has kids who are in their late 20s. She has a young uh, fourth grader here. Yeah. And she has a teen who's an 11th grader. And she's saying, yeah, it's it's true. My twenty, uh, my the, my kid in his late twenties comes to me, tells me how his day was going, yeah. talks to me about his problems. We're like friends. Yeah, mm -hmm. we have coffee together. Right, yeah. we're out together. Yeah. You have they have coffee together. They go out together. Yeah. But yeah. but the ones who are there, who they need her more actually yeah. because they're still young. I'm the enemy. Yeah, <laughs> the enemy, the ruler. The dictator of the house. It's just the mom. It's just the yeah. enemy. Yeah, that it's it's how it is. This is how it is. It's funny. So it's sad. It's, yeah, it's uh, not sad. It's hopeful. Yeah, they come back according to you, and then we go out and have coffee with them. That's amazing. Okay, they come back. So we just need to survive it. Okay. All right. So let's talk about parenting styles, and I want you, as we're going through it, to think about yourself. And when you think about yourself. Be as fair and as compassionate on yourself. If you hear something that resonates with you, that you're like, oh, I'm kind of like that, and I don't like it, because on paper it doesn't look good, it's okay, this is a moment of learning. No one's here to criticize anybody. We're all here for growth, okay? So we're going to start with authoritarian. Authoritarian is implied in the name, okay? As you see on the, oh, how can I do the laser? Yeah, it has a pointer on it. Oh, there we go, okay. So, authoritarian, you have high demands, but low responsiveness, okay? Demanding, this is the, because I said so parent. Uh, why do we have to go to bed at nine and not 10.30? Because I said so. Be quiet. Listen to my rules. Low responsiveness, so high demands. A lot of rules, a lot of rules, okay? Low responsiveness means you are not responding to your child's emotional and psychological needs, okay? So you're setting rules, but you're not taking into consideration, is this appropriate for my child's, the child's developmental phase? Do I need to adjust? Do I need to change the way I deliver my rules? Do I need to explain? Do I need to sit down and, and um, have fun with my kids? It's it's just a it's the dictator, okay? The uninvolved parent is low responsiveness, low demands. It's the one that's checked out. They're just there physically, maybe not even, 
no rules, maybe sometimes some rules. There isn't a lot of predictability. They're not there emotionally for their kid. There are a lot of needs that are neglected, okay? Then you have permissive parents, high responsiveness, low demands. The permissive parent is the parent who wants to be friends with their child, not a parent, okay? So they want their child to be happy so much and like them so much that they are not enforcing any rules or when the rules are stated, there is no consequence because they want their kid to be happy, okay? These three types have their issues because we have an imbalance in your duties as a parent, okay? The type that research has found to be the most effective with raising children of all ages is the authoritative, not authoritarian, authoritative. You have high demands and high expectations, but you're also highly responsive to your kids' needs, okay? So let's, I'm gonna go to the next slide, slide and tell you how, this, how each style affects the kids. So for authoritative kids, which is the recommended style, you have your rules, you're firm, you mean business, but you are treating your children as human beings, as individuals. Instead of saying, because I said so, you say, because we need to wake up early to get to school, because your body needs that for you to be healthy, because I'm here to protect you. You can't watch this uh, certain show because I want to protect you, because there are messages that I don't want you to pick up and have subconsciously in your brain. Not just because I said so, because I'm the boss here, okay? Kids who have authoritative parents are more likely with they, their self-image, what they think about themselves, to have healthy, high self-esteem. They're healthy emotionally and psychologically. They're assertive. They are comfortable talking about their needs, okay? They can go to their teachers and advocate for themselves. They can be in a situation and be assertive and advocate for themselves. Because at home, they saw that there is law and order, but that I matter. I matter. My safety matters. My emotional well-being matters. My mom and dad allow me to talk about what I need, and I'm given what I need when it's appropriate for me. So when they go to a different environment, they have no problem behaving the same way. Their emotions, they trust their feelings. When they feel sad, they don't tell you, they don't shut it down and act like they're not feeling sad. When they're angry, they're aware that they're angry. Because we see kids who are angry and they're not even aware of how loud they are and how aggressive they are. So they trust their feelings, they have awareness. Because why? Because at home you validated their feelings. When they were sad, you showed them that you understand that they're sad. You didn't tell them, oh, it's okay, people around the world are suffering more than you are and you should thank God and, you know, you validated their feelings. You modeled to them because when they needed you to soothe them, you soothed them and you showed them how to calm themselves down and regulate their emotions. So they can regulate their emotions more 
and they have more self-control, okay? In terms of social, socially, they're responsible, they're less sensitive to peer pressure because they have a strong foundation at home. They have a trusting relationship with you. They understand the rules. They understand why you ask them to do what you're asking them to do. So when they go out, because of that rational understanding, they're less sensitive to be pressured into diving into something that they're not supposed to be. Get, they get along with people and they're empathetic because you model the empathy with them at home. In academics, they tend to learn well at school, have achievements, okay? They're driven, they're goal-driven because again, at home, they're goal-driven because the parents have rules. They're not just there to babysit and bring you ice cream. They have rules and expectations and parents hold you to a high standard, but they explain why there is a high standard. Yes, Nusabi. Yes. So my eight-year-old, because we set very high expectations at home and we're very like we're very considerate to their feelings, but she's getting to a stage where she's afraid of making mistakes. Mm. So I don't know if it's something we can do with our style that she's fearing to make mistakes. Yeah. You know, and even though we always reinforce at home that it's okay to make mistakes, mm -hmm. this is how you learn. And like, but I don't know, is there anything we can do as parents to to maybe lessen that? You can, so um, what you're describing for her developmental stage is, is also like expected. Kids in that age are, who are driven will be tough on themselves and will, uh, freak out with an A minus, you know? So what you can do is you can reframe what mistakes mean. So the definition of a mistake, you can wait till there is a mistake yeah, or, like or something. Yeah. What can we learn? What can we learn from that? So how do you think this will affect the next time you do the same thing? And just try to model to her how that mistake can be a really good thing to help her achieve even more. So just to try to reframe the definition, not conceptually, not through talk. You need a real life, like hands-on experience, or she'll be like, like the, the, the light bulb. Oh yeah, that's right, okay. So I'm not going to try to make mistakes. I'm still going to try not to make mistakes, but at the same time, I'm going to be compassionate to myself and and you can you can tell her if you if your friend was you let's role play you can role play with her I'm your friend and you came to me and you told me I made this mistake where I got this grade that I didn't like talk to me as your friend and role play and tell her okay if you're going to say that to your friend why aren't you saying it to yourself so maybe that maybe that yeah, can work okay thank you you're very welcome Thank you for the question. Okay. Permissive parents, the, the best friend parent. Okay. Do we need like a break? Is this too much information? Do we need to stand up and stretch? Okay. All right. Permissive. The kid will have high self-esteem because they have a loving, loving parent at home. Okay? So that's a positive. They'll be confident. 
but they're not going to be as responsible and they're going to be impulsive. And we all know what an impulsive is, right? Like in the fair, like I want to do this, I'm going to do it. You know? It makes sense that they're going to be impulsive, right? Because mom and dad at home are not setting down any law. They're, they're as friends, they're letting us do what we want. And whenever I feel like doing something, I'll do it. Whenever I don't feel like doing it, I'm gonna do it. So the impulse is driving the behavior. Um, the, the, they voice their feelings, but the, again, the, re the regulation of the emotions is not at a healthy level. They may have trouble keeping friends because if you, <coughs> Statistically, the permissive type is not the most common. So that child will be coming from an environment that's different than many of their peers, okay? So they will have some hard, hardship in getting along with others. And because they get to do whatever they want, uh, they're not gonna love school, obviously, because school is hard work, and it's hard work that earns you rewards but they don't have that in their, they don't have the stamina for it because that's not the environment they're coming from. Authoritarian, think of like, I think we all know what authoritarian parentship looks like, right? Right? Yeah. Okay, all right. So it's, you might have low self-esteem. And, and by the way, these characteristics in children, they're not permanent. But your, your teenager will have them. But as an adult, they can work on themselves to improve them, okay? But why would you create roadblocks in their development, right? The authoritarians, low self-esteem, because they're usually talked down to. They're not spoken to with respect, so they're not going to have high confidence. They're not going to trust their feelings because their feelings are never validated at home or rarely validated at home. Okay, so if I feel, if, if your daughter is in a situation where she needs to stand up for herself, but you never allow that at home for her to have her voice, when she goes outside, she's not going to do that because she never practiced it. And she knows that if she tries to do it, someone will shut her down because you shut her down at home. And same goes, obviously I'm saying daughter because I'm just using an an example, but it's uh, across both uh, across both genders. Ms. May, can we add also a point that this is not a form of disrespect when your children, you know, maybe have that are conversation assertive. back and are assertive with you, that it's not actually disrespectful, yeah. um, but it's a form of training at home before they get into the real world and have to stand up for themselves. Exactly, exactly. And if part of it comes off as disrespectful, let's remind ourselves of the hormones, okay? So, you know how we covered that they don't have extra levels of hormones? They have the same hormone levels as us. They just don't know what to do with it. This is another area where they're going to be thrown into situations and have these feelings and moods that they're not aware of. So they don't know exactly how to be assertive, okay? They don't know, so uh, they're thinking, I'm speaking out for myself, but you are viewing them as coming off disrespectful, and they may very well be, but it's our job to teach them how to be assertive. Okay, I hear you. 
next time, let's let's say this again without that word. Let's say this again while we're sitting down. Let's take five minutes and revisit this so we're both calm. You tell me exactly what you're feeling and what you need, and we'll go from there. But the way you are expressing yourself right now is not conducive to a good, productive conversation. Okay? All right. Um, they have also been found academically to have a hard time concentrating, and that could be attributed to a lot of stress from home, okay? And their achievement is average. Uninvolved, low self-esteem, little confidence, might even hate themselves. They, the emotions are all over, they shut down, um, they just think of them as they, if the parents didn't make them feel like they matter, they believe that they don't matter. Um, they can be withdrawn, not trusting, because what's the most relationship that embeds trust in us? Parent-child, right? That's where, we, that's where we learn to trust things in the world. So if you don't trust your parents, it's very hard to trust others, okay? All right. What can we do? What can we do? Let's integrate before we get to what can we do, let me tell you what your kids have been saying, okay? So, I gave uh, a sample. It was, I tried to do it, uh, do this um, with fidelity as a researcher, okay? Chose a random sample of high school and middle school students, okay? They filled out a survey. I told them not to write their names. We're not interested to know who you are, who your parents are. We just want that. We want your voice to be heard. If we're going to be discussing you, you need to be in the room with us, right? And that is that should be the theme of everything. If you're going to take care of your kids, especially teenagers, involve them. Make them know, empower them. Let them know their voice means something, okay? So this is how I analyzed the data. These are some of the questions they answered. I'm not used to this. What I like. Okay. I took the average. So they would have a question and they would put a number from one through seven. One is not at all. Seven is all the time or a great deal. Okay. And then the, and then, you know, the spectrum in between. So I averaged the responses. That's the main column right here. And then the mode is. The mode is how many, the most frequently used response or response that occurred, okay? So for example, how much time do you feel you spend with your parents? The average, one through seven, was 4.8. The mode, five. So most of them indicated on a scale from one to seven, five. So not a great deal, not not at all, pretty good number. For teenagers, that's a pretty good number, okay? How much do you trust your parents? The average was 5.4 out of seven. The mode was a seven. Oh, nice. Great news. Most of our students answered that they fully trust their parents, okay? How confident are you that your parents would not ridicule you 
if you talk about a problem of yours. 4.9, so that went down from this top one. That means that we have more, um, more ones, which is good. So no, not good, which is bad, <laughs> just bad. Uh, we had ones and twos and threes more. Seven is still the most recorded number, but it means that there is more uh, discrepancy. There is, there were a lot of sevens, but there were also like a lot of ones to smaller numbers because the average is small. Okay, and this is a common issue that teenagers complain about. Their problems are not taken seriously, and when they try. To share, they feel ridiculed or made fun of, or they're told that your problem is nothing compared to mine. Um, you should, it's, it's deflected on someone else. Because maybe to us, their problems are not a big deal, you know? Like, work, dad and working moms, um, or, or stay at home moms, or adults. When, when the students come up to me and say, um, I have so much to do and uh, I'm just so tired and I haven't slept and I'm like, I have kids, I have a husband, I have this job, I have, <laughs> I, I have like <clears throat> school, you know? I'm a daughter, I'm the oldest daughter. So is it healthy at all or conducive or to anything or productive for me to be like, you're complaining? I barely get any sleep. I can't see in front of me in the morning. I, I have this and I have that. What does that do? It does nothing but minimize how they feel. And their problem to them is real. It's real. Because they're not expected to have kids and have a husband or a wife and do all this. And they do have challenges in life. And that's legitimate. So. Good news, a lot of them wrote seven. How confident are you that your parents would help you when you have a problem? Again, most of them said seven, that's good, but the average indicates that some of them are not that confident. How comfortable would you be talking to your parents about a problem in your life? What happened here? Drop. Big drop. Big drop, okay? So, it went, from most of them are answering seven to most of them answering four. Okay, so keep this in mind. How well do you communicate with your parents? You know, that average is five, seven. It might be, there's, you might see like a difference here. Okay, well, if we're communicating well and you're saying seven, why aren't you comfortable talking? They might be disconnecting the two uh, they might be viewing communication. That's the thing with service. You have to keep keep in mind that the response is going to have like some bias or some misunderstanding. Okay. How well do your parents understand your needs, feelings, and behavior? Five. Again. So, how comfortable are you talking about your problems? Four. How well do your parents understand your needs, feelings, and behaviors? Five. These are the lowest. They're related, aren't they? Because I'm not going to go to you, Ms. Akinan, and talk to you about my problems. I'm not going to feel comfortable 
if I feel like you wouldn't understand my needs, my feelings, and how I act, right? How well do your parents listen to you? So the average is pretty low, but we went up to a six here. How much do you respect your parents? Amazing. Highest averages? Almost a seven. Almost 100% I respect my parents. Mostly sevens. How much do you value your parents' opinion? 6.4. Honestly, guys, I was surprised to get this last one. I was surprised. I thought we were going to be in the fours and fives on average. But this is such great news. They respect us. They want our opinion. They believe we know what we're doing. But you know, they want our opinion and their real problem, they went for whom to talk about? They That's want your opinion, but they don't feel comfortable coming to you. Yeah. So they trust in our abilities. They trust it. They know how hard we work to protect them. They know that no one cares about them and their well-being more than us. But are we missing out on not making them feel comfortable to come and talk to us with a disaster they just committed? Because they're going to make mistakes, right? Some mistakes are disasters. You have to think about it. If my kid made a huge mistake, or is stuck, got sucked into something by someone, are they comfortable coming to talk to me? Because we already know they respect us, and they want our opinion. We should build a trust relationship between you. Yes. For them to trust us. For them to trust us, which is easy as we see. They want to trust us. They want certain things because a lot of times parents of teenagers think the teenager doesn't respect them, doesn't care about their opinion, <coughs> thinks they're old school, thinks they can't relate. They do think you can't relate, but they do value your opinion. They want a good relationship. They want that. They just don't know how to express it to you. Yeah. So we're going to go over ways on how to make that happen, okay? Let's go. The last question on the survey was the only time when they can write words. What more characteristics do you wish your parents had more of? So a lot of them said, said things like this. My parents are perfect. I don't want anyone else. I love them. They're silly. They're caring, loving, admirable, dot, 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 etc., etc. Just the way they are. I don't want to change them. Okay, I just picked three because they show you what was written, but there was a lot more like this, which was amazing to read. The number one characteristics that our kids want us to change is be less stressed. <laughs> be calmer. <laughs> Any reactions to this? Did you expect this? Did you expect it, or is it a surprise? It's not surprising. It wasn't a surprise. It's not surprising. Life is stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Not so, I'm sure my kids would probably say the same yeah. thing. Let's just. Yeah. Right. It's not surprising. Everything. They pick up on more than we believe. I agree. Yeah. No matter what age. Absolutely. Absolutely. More understanding. That was the second most recent one. I saw the combination of these two a lot. I want my parents to be more understanding and less stressed out. 
I love my parents. I know they're looking out for me, and I know they love me, but I just wish they listened to me. That might go hand in hand with them not wanting to come to us. Because we're so stressed out. Yes. They don't want to be. And? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If your kid is stressed about a problem, they don't know what to do with the peer, with the teacher, with their brother, their sister, and they're walking toward the kitchen, and you're there, and you're like, and you're on the phone, and how could you do that? Do you think this is an inviting time for them? Yeah. They're just gonna turn right back and just feel all alone, okay? It doesn't mean that we can't display our stress ever, because life is stressful, but we just need to be mindful. We need to be mindful of the effect, our whole affect, our whole mood is uh, permeating at home, okay? more empathetic. And empathy is just being there for your kid emotionally. Just feeling their feelings, validating their feelings. You don't even need to say much to be empathetic. Just sitting next to your kid when they're looking down and holding their hand, that is more powerful than you saying, I know exactly what you're going through. You know? Because what are they gonna think when you say, I know exactly what you're going through? No, you don't. No, you were raised in Lebanon or Egypt or wherever, or you were raised when you were a child, things were different. You don't know what I'm going through. So it's much more powerful to be empathetic rather than sympathetic. Okay? They want more understanding of their feelings and emotions. So it's not just their wants and needs, it's how they feel. So. Let's not ridicule our sensitive children. Let them express. There's a common um, cultural view that crying is a weakness. And yeah, it's a misconception because crying is a natural mechanism of the body. The kids don't come up with it. It's a mechanism of the body, just like our hands do something. Our nose does something. Our eyes cry because we need to cry sometimes. Crying is not a weakness. There is a difference between someone who cries because of pain and hurt and processing, and they need to get rid of that pain and hurt with their tears, physically out of their body, and there is a difference between a crybaby. And believe me, you know your kids, you know the difference. You know when you have a crybaby that you need to give more tools for them to be able to manage a open life. And when you have someone who's crying because they are really genuinely hurt and they just want to process it and get it out, and it's not the time to shut them down and say, it's okay, it's okay, stop crying. Stop crying, it's okay, it's gonna be fine. That stops the processing. It's not what they need. Let them, let them cry. It's healing. Okay. Listen more to my opinion. Understand that my life is different than they were. Theirs was when they were my age. Understand that kids have problems too. This came up a lot too. Oops. Sillier, goofier, more fun. And that doesn't negate the fact that you will have authority in your house. That's my husband. 
your husband is the same one. Yeah. <laughs> Kids love that. They love feeling like you are connected to them. You can be silly and goofy like them. You can laugh with them. You're not just like this disconnected um, dictator like creature in the house. You have feelings. You're you get sad, you get happy, you laugh, you cry. You're a, you're a human just like them. It brings you closer. Okay. All right. So any questions, comments, feedback? Okay. All right. So what can we do? Taking all this in, what can we do moving forward? We're going to listen more. You know, I know you guys all read this and hear this a lot. We have two of these and one of this because there's a ratio. We have two ears because we need to listen twice as much, at least twice as much as we talk. One of this. So listen, listen, and actively listen to your kids. Instead of, and listening doesn't mean when my kid comes to me and they're talking to me about something, I'm deciding in my head and play, processing and playing in my head, what am I going to do? What am I going to respond to them by? Okay? Listening is giving yourself time to really understand what your kid is saying. Okay? Especially if there is a cultural difference. And a lot of us, whether we like it or not, no matter where we were raised, even if you were born in the US and your kid is born in the US, you will have a cultural difference because we're different generations. Right now, generations are like every two years, there's a generational difference. It's not every decade anymore or two decades, okay? So there will be differences. That's okay. You can work with that. Can I role play with you? Can I do something with you? Can I like make an example for you? Okay. So how many times do we see our kids like looking like they're in a bad mood and we say, what's wrong? Are you okay? No. What's wrong? Are you okay? What happened? Was everything okay at school? Tell me, what happened? Do you feel like you want to tell me anything? No. No. Yeah. You shut everything up. Yeah. I, I want to leave. Okay. Yeah. And guess what? If, <coughs> if you were spoken to that way, you're not going to want to talk either. Yes. What why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't you telling me what happened? I'm your mom. I'm your dad. I need to know everything. You only talk to your friends. We say that stuff. Does not encourage any type of conversation. Uh, time for a personal example. My son yesterday was in this mood when I picked him up from school. He was down. I asked, are you okay? Yeah. My daughter, she's in the same class because they're twins. She started saying, well, um, this boy said that and that boy said that. And then he just told her, I'm fine. It's okay. I'm fine. He didn't want to talk. Okay. I let it go, we went home, he was uh, irritated most of the day. And, then, and honestly, a little bit rude to me, because he's irritated, but I'm not taking it personally, because I know something happened that's bothering him, it's not me. At some point, I just walked up to my son, when he was doing, he's sitting on, doing his homework in Google Classroom, I put my hand on his back, and I said, you had a really tough day, that's all I said. 
tears. Oh, I Tears. He just went down like this. Tears. <gasps> Hyperventilating. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hyperventilating. It all came out. He told me what happened. Kids were mean to him. But asking direct questions, it's invasive. It's not inviting. There are other ways. Go sit next to your child when you feel down. Just sit. Silence is so powerful. We learned this in clinically, in counseling. When you have a session in therapy, and you know, you ask open-ended questions, and your client is is not sharing much. You know what they tell us to do? Sit and say nothing. Because it's uncomfortable to sit like this. It's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Your brain is telling you right now, I'm uncomfortable, and I need to say something. Don't be the one to say something. You want to listen. You don't want to talk. Right. You want to know what's going on. Let them be uncomfortable with the silence enough that they will force themselves to share with you. Okay? Be patient. Stay quiet, and they will bring information. And be calm. And if you tell them, be consistent. If you tell them, you can talk to me about anything, no matter what you did. You might have consequences, but I support you. It's not the end of the world. You need to deliver on that. Don't tell your teenager you can talk to me about anything, and then lash out at them when they tell you what they did. Right? So then they don't trust you. Be interested versus judgmental. You know more than them. We know that. We're adults. We've been there, done that. We have wisdom. We have experience. But we don't need to like judge them and rub that in their face all the time. That makes them feel small. You'll be sec let's be secure in our, and confident in our wisdom and abilities <clears throat> and listen give our opinions, have a consensus if there is a difference in opinion. Okay, you're not agreeing with me. Let me hear what you have to say. You know we can't really do that, so how can we meet in the middle? And both of you win, okay? Catch things in the passing. <coughs> Kids sometimes throw out offhanded remarks, like, I, let me think of an example. Just a comment that you're like, where did that come from? You know, like you, for example, you give them food and uh, they didn't have like their favorite type. This is just a silly example, okay? They take the plate and they're like, I never get what I want. And they go sit. That is something's going on. Don't, in that moment, be like, what do you mean you never get what you want? What else can we do for you? Be right? grateful. Be grateful. Say alhamdulillah, right? There's something there. Take that, put it in your memory, and I'm going to follow up on that. Hey, earlier you said you never get what you want. Is there something that you're missing? Is there something that you might benefit more of? What, what happened? So these, catching these things, because they want, the, the teenager saying this, they want you to know something. They're not just saying it randomly. They want you to know. Okay? 
So they might communicate with us, not in our favorite ways, but they're communicating. So let's take that and teach them how to communicate in, a, in an effective way. Okay. If you show your teenager that you're listening, it doesn't mean that you agree with them. Because I think sometimes parents think they're going to lose control if they listen. If they sit there and listen, oh, then my kid is going to think if I don't correct them right away that I agree with them. It's not the case. You know your own values and rules and expectations. Keep it. Keep it till it's the right time to bring it out. Listening doesn't mean agreeing. Remind yourself of that. We talked about validating their feelings. Fixing also cuts off, cut, it blocks the process of expression. Sometimes people want to cry. I want to cry. Don't tell me to stop crying. I know you're trying to fix me, but I want to cry. Okay? Sometimes your kid comes to you with something. Okay, all right, hold on. And they're upset. So what we can do is this, and then put this here, and do that here, and your kid is like, ah, I just want to have a moment to be sad. They just want to be sad. Just be there. Be there for them. Be empathetic. Empathetic listening is, okay, I'm listening to you. That sounds hard. How can I, what can I do? How can I make it better? Do you want to tell me more? Okay, I'm here. Hold the hand. Hug. I'm here for you. Okay? Instead of, could always be worse. Someone out there, someone is worse off than all of us. Alhamdulillah, we're all blessed. Okay? But what does that have to do with your kid's problem? Your kid doesn't have the other person's life. Their problem is a real problem within the parameters of their life. So it's not necessary or productive for them to be compared to <coughs> Okay? Okay, listen to me. I'm going to give you a lecture right now. Oh, you have this problem? Oh, I have the perfect solution. And then your kid disconnects, doesn't hear anything you're saying, gets annoyed, and the problem is not solved. Then you think, oh, my kid doesn't listen to me. Your kid didn't listen because you didn't deliver the message correctly. That's why. Okay. Positive feedback. Let's think about feedback as a bank account, okay? If you have a bank account and you're putting money in it, money is the positive feedback, okay? And then you take out the money, which is, let's think of it as a negative feedback, the minus. If you put in only a dollar and you take out 50 cents, that's a big hit. You only have 50 cents left. You're like, oh my God, my bank account is so low. I don't feel good. If you're putting in $500, a lot of positive feedback. Really sincere, positive feedback. $500 worth. And you need to be critical one time. You take out the 50 cents. Are you going to feel the 50 cents? No. We want our kids to listen to us. We don't want our kids to think that we're only present when they do wrong. We want our kids to know that we're there and we see and we love and we celebrate when they do right. Remember again the reward, how they're sensitive to rewards? They're sensitive 
choose the best reward, which is a kind word for mom and dad. Mom and dad making me feel like I'm a success. They're proud of me. I did something well. And it's not just according to your values. So it's not just academic. It can be academic. It can be religious. It can be moral. It can be your daughters being kind to each other. You seeing a collaboration between your kids. It can be your kid picking up something off the street and like removing it out of the way. Let them know you see that. Increase that bank account so that when it's time for you to guide them and give them constructive criticism, they're more likely to take it, okay? Okay, so we covered explaining rules and uh, expectations and not saying because I said so. And because this is not fully developed yet, you, they will forget. You will need to remind them and remind them and remind them, okay? Be self-aware of our own emotions, our stress source. A lot of times we're stressed out and our kids, unfortunately, are our, punching, our emotional punching bag. They didn't cause our stress. It's not fair for them. If I'm if I'm stressed out by my husband, not me personally, but we're stressed out by our husband. We think before we speak back to another adult. We calculate it. What am I going to say back to my husband? This is going to affect our relationship. Is, is this okay? We have some more control. But with our kids, husband stresses out, stresses us out. We dump it over the kids. No thinking. No consideration. They deserve even more thinking, consideration, control of our emotion and regulation of our emotion than adults in our lives. Because adults are adults. We can fix it. We can deal with it. This causes damage that may be permanent or very hard to process in adulthood. Okay. Model what you expect. If you want your kids, your kids to control their emotions, we have to control our emotions, right? And when my kids call me out on it, well, Mama, you 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 yelled yesterday. You know what? You're right. I'm sorry. It's I'm gonna learn from that, and it might happen again because sometimes I have a bad day, and I'm sorry. But I'm always going to explain to you and apologize to you. Because you want them to do that. You want them to apologize when they do something wrong. That's not going to come out of thin air. That's not going to happen because you said, I said so. That's going to come by you doing it and modeling it for them. Take your time. Avoid escalation. When things are escalating, disconnect. And that's in any relationship. When the moods are getting higher, it's best to take a time out. Okay. It's too high right now. We're all going to take a five or a ten, and then we'll reconvene when we're home. Okay? Have the whole family learn emotional language, feelings. Instead of having only like five words to describe feelings, have a variety of words. Okay? 
so that the expression is easier. Gives them that it's, it's a language that they need to learn, and we need to learn as well. I versus you statements. I think you guys have heard of that. So I'm disappointed that such and such happened. I'm disappointed that your report card looks like this this time. Instead of you never study, you never do anything. All you do is sit around. That's accusatory. I makes the person in front of you more open to receive that criticism indirectly, okay? All right, I think we all know this. This is the final slide. Spend quality time together. A lot of times parents want to spend quality time with their kids, but they do what they like. Make sure you ask your kids, what do they like? What's fun for them? Do it with them. Let them take that lead. Take interest in what they do. If you have many children, try as hard as it is to spend one-on-one -on -one time with each child. Not every single day, at least once a week, depending on how, many, how feasible that is. Your child needs you one-on-one -on -one at least once a week, okay? Involve your children in decision-making. Ask them their opinions. Make them feel like they're valued family members. Follow through with your promises. Be predictable. If you're going to have a rule and you say the consequences such, keep the consequence the same. Don't, don't do the consequence with one child and not the other. Be predictable. Give them that safety. Show them that you love them. That's not a weakness. Hug them. Kiss them. Tell them you love them. Tell them you're proud of them. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Understand your kids first, that's your goal. Your second goal is for them to understand. So number one is understand. Number, one, number two, be understood. Have family traditions and rituals that helps children feel a bond with the family. We have traditions and rituals in school that helps our students feel like they're bonded with the school. The same thing goes for the family unit. You need your own things that you do together that your kids enjoy to feel connected. Thank you. That Thank concludes you. my presentation. Thank you. Any questions, guys? I know it's hard to set this whole thing. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. You know, next time, if we're just like this, we'll get you better seats. Yeah, we'll take that into consideration. Yeah. HES Academies have been serving the Detroit metro area for over 23 years, promoting academic excellence, leadership, and cultural diversity, ranking as some of the top schools in the state of Michigan. Our pre-K through 12th grade students enjoy tuition-free, state-accredited education by STEM-certified and highly qualified staff with no geographical restrictions, and with advanced placement, college dual enrollment, scholarship, and Arabic language programs. Nor International Academy in Sterling Heights at NIAPSA.org. Star International Academy in Dearborn Heights and in Canton at StarPSA.org. Universal Academy in Detroit at UniversalPSA.org and Universal Learning Academy in Westland at ULAPSA.org. Join HES Academies today and enjoy a free Chromebook for every enrolled student.